0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. I will tell you that this summer I've been really busy. I've done doing a lot of traveling. We've done traveling with um, with our family. We've done some uh, getting to to go see Susan's family and my family. Uh, I got to travel to the Great Nation of Texas recently. That's where I'm from, and uh, had all the my favorite foods while I was there. That was really good. Um, We've traveled, uh, I've actually been on both coasts of the U.S. in a 10-day period, which is kind of wild, because that is not my norm, but North Myrtle Beach, and then uh, within 10 days I was in, on the, the left coast, and um, we were at um, the Malibu area, and have, have any of you ever been on the Santa Monica Pier? Wow. I mean, there's some really freaky stuff on the Santa Monica Pier, <laughs> and I'm mostly talking about the people. Um, but there's some good stuff, and we saw some really talented people there, but it was kind of cool to kind of be on both sides. And then, you know, you just see funny things when you travel. This past week, I was flying, um, and I had two things happen, like, on the same flight. It was really, like, this was like a double whammy, you know. You just see, like, one thing, it's like, wow, I can't wait to get home and tell my wife about that one. Well, I had two on the same flight. So uh, I'm sitting, and this, there's this uh, young guy, young millennial, He's sitting in the aisle seat next to me across the aisle and he has ADD. I mean, capital A, capital D, capital D. He has it all. And so he has fidgeted with every magazine. He has pulled everything. He has turned. He's talked. He's done. He's looked. He's got up. He's gone to the bathroom at least twice. I think he was just inspecting to see if the bath in the back was the same as the one in the front, you know, but he was just doing that. And all of the sudden you can see like he had this. He pulls out, he reaches under his seat and he pulls out a red rubber dodgeball. I look over. And I'm like, this is not gonna be good. And so you can tell like he's he's pushing on it, playing it, you know, kinda of doing a little slinky thing. You just kinda of mess it, and then all of a sudden you could see it like like he gets this really big idea. You know, it was like the ones like, hey, watch this. It was one of those. And so he just he reaches up and he just takes his tray table and he just flicks that little thing and he goes boom and he sticks that ball, and he starts dribbling the ball on his tray seat. <laughs> And the guy in front of him, like, he just, like, whirls up out of his seat and looks down at this guy. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I'm ununited. You know, (laughs) it was going to be one of those moments, like, something's going down. And the kid, I said kid, he was a young man, but he, like, you could tell, like, he grabbed that ball and his eyes froze, like, all at the same time. And, like, he put it away, but... Anyway, nothing happened more than that, but I was like, "Man, this is going to be awesome!" And I'm right here to videotape it and everything, but didn't go. And then um, what else? Oh, the same flight. So you you get off, and you're in baggage claim, and you're watching all these other people file through. They're at the little further behind that you didn't see. You didn't know we're on the plane. You know, there's people get on the plane, and they they're big, and you know, you you're just thinking. He, this guy is really big. Well, I, This guy was really big and muscular. I mean, this guy is like, he's got muscles. His muscles have muscles. And he's at somewhere behind me in the back of the plane. And he comes off this thing. And I saw him walking. And it's like he's as wide, uh, you know, he's wider than most people. And I'm thinking, man, I'm glad I wasn't sitting next to him. Because, I mean, I, there would have been no shoulder room. There would have been no putting your I arm. Mean, it's your armrest. You take it, dude. You know, it would have been one of those kind of deals. And And then I saw it. He's carrying a little purse, a little hot pink purse. And there's something in me that went, like, no way. And then I looked, and it's got a Shih Tzu in it. And so I'm thinking, that's cute. Where's your wife? You know. And the really scary thing was, it was his pink bag and his little Shih Tzu. And I don't know where his wife was because I kept looking for her, but I never saw her. And I'm thinking, you are, you are secure with yourself to carry that bag and that dog on this plane. You are secure. Um, but you just see stuff, you know? You just, There's some crazy, crazy stuff you see. Um, but you also see like the, the not-so-funny and the not-so-good side of life when you travel or when you do things. Um, I saw a lot of people whose jobs just seemed thankless. And I'm thinking, I'm glad that's not my job. I'm glad that's not what I do for a living. Um, I saw this waitress, and she, was, she got run through the ringer by these people in the restaurant next to me um, because their order came back wrong. And um, so just a side thought, you, you do know that the waitress doesn't cook the food, right? We do know that waitress doesn't cook the food and what's even crazier is the average restaurant did you know this they serve like 450 to 500 meals a day so if they get a strong a on performance and get 95 percent of that right that means every day 20 to 25 people are going to get a wrong order i mean think about that when you go to lunch today but the reality is is like they just gave her a tough tough time you know and i thought wow I thought i i need to tip her for what she just went through um and i 'm not a big fan of t s a agents either necessarily i don 't have anything against them but but man, sometimes people just don't they just want what they want. How many of you travel a lot? do you travel a lot? you have like a known traveler number? do you get the little yeah I do that too and i'm I'm watching this woman insist that she has her number and because she has her number, she should not have to take out her. Her liquids or her PC, and she should not have to take off her heels. I mean, look at them. Do you see how beautiful they are? I should not have to take those off. And she was, she just was really tough. And I'm thinking, man, this TSA agent guy. It's like I, I feel like I should like pat him on the back today on my way through and just say you're doing a good job, man. Um, and then those poor little gate attendants, the people that are at the gate and they have to tell you that you have to hand check your bag that's tough, man, that's a tough job I mean, this is why people carry their carry-ons because they want to carry them on and then you have to tell them that you have to hand-check them and that's just because of the way things are I mean, you know how that works, right? So, first people who need special assistance get on rightly so then people who have priority boarding and then people who have platinum status and gold status and silver status and the ones who have uh, Harris Teeter MVP card (laughs) and then the people who are frequent shoppers at Walmart, they get on Right. And then there's the people who have the ruby status, the sapphire status, the shamrock status, and the paisley status, you know. And then they start zone, boarding by zones one, two, three, four, five, six, and then you get to me, seven. Right. And there's a reason why, because everybody else is already on the plane. There is no overhead space anymore because people don't like to check their bags. Man, people get really, and I, I feel sorry for some of those people because what they do, um, I know they must like their jobs, but on some days it just has to feel thankless. Um, and it's the people, right? It's the people who who they're serving that seem to gauge their life or their day by how they were treated. You know, it was like, well, I didn't get what I wanted, so it was a horrible flight. It didn't, it didn't go right. I didn't get to sit in first class. I didn't get to, they, they hand-ticked my back. Whatever. It's like we gauge ourselves by how others treat us or what we get. And it's like, that just doesn't seem to pan out for me. It seems like the gauge of my day and my life should be how I helped other people, right? Listen, there's coming a day, hopefully not soon, but there's coming a day when I will breathe my last breath. And when it happens, I know what's going to happen. They're all going to get together and then they're going to go have fried chicken somewhere. And that happens. But it happens just after. They'll be in a room just like this, right? And they'll evaluate my life. Now, they won't call it that, but the reality is, is we come to that meeting, right? And We go to that service and we evaluate their lives. And I got to tell you, I hope, I hope that people don't somehow evaluate my life one day or gauge my life by how lucky they were that they got to serve me. I hope that they gauge it by how I impacted them, what I gave and how I served them and what I inspired them and the words that I spoke to them that Did something, right? There was that moment. You know, he's the one who cries in service all the time. For those of you who don't know, I'm going to cry before the day is over. It just happens. Uh, And I'm probably going to make some of you cry before the day is over. But it just, like, how are we going to impact and how are we going to serve others? I just believe that I'd rather be known for that. And that really aligns with one of our first notes. And that is this. It says this, measuring life by what others do for us may disappoint us. But measuring life by what we do for others will add more meaning to our lives, and I would say to theirs as well. It will. How many of you have ever seen uh, the newer game show on TV called The Wall? How many of you have seen The Wall? You know The Wall? Those of you don't? The rest of you, you need to start watching more TV. When's the last time you heard a preacher say that in church somewhere? You need to watch more TV. Um, There's a game show on called The Wall, and it is, um, for those of you who don't know, it's one of these things where there's two contestants. They're a team, right? They're there together to beat the wall. And so the way it works is one of them is answering questions in isolation. They can't hear uh, what's going on. They don't know what what is happening anywhere else. But other, they're in an isolation booth and they're answering questions and hopefully getting them right. The other person is dropping balls down this giant wall, plinko style. So it goes, you know, down the thing into slots at the bottom and. The, the amounts increase over certain rounds. And there's always one and ten and hundred dollars and stuff like that, but they start out with 50, 25,000, 50,000, 100,000. They get multiple hundreds of thousands, and before it's over, there's a million-dollar slot on the wall. And so these people are trying to, to win money. And um, you're saying, why are you telling me about this? And it's like, I don't remember. <laughs> this is what happens when you get old. Oh, yeah. So there's this guy. I was recently watching. and There was this guy and he was one of the contestants and they were telling his story. And it, the story kind of relates to today. So this, there's this guy and he's he's um, he's on a plane. He's traveling and he has gotten to his destination. In fact, he was in um, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, he was in the airport when the shooter happened several months ago. How I many remember that? Like there's a shooter in the, Fort Lauderdale, he was there that day. In fact, his plane had just landed, and they were out on the, the tarmac. But they weren't letting people deplane because there's, you know, life and death things are happening in the airport. So they're out on the tarmac, and he's sitting in this in his seat, and there is um, an 80 year old woman beside him, and she looks at him and she says, "I'm alone. Will you help me?" Like, Whoa. So this guy's about 40, and he went on to tell the story that basically uh, because they were out on the tarmac, they had to bring them the rolling ladders and everything, stair- stair- stairwells. He carried this 80-year-old woman down those steep stairs and onto the tarmac, and then he carried her across the tarmac to a safe area, which was a good distance away from where the terminal was, but he carried her the entire distance. And then when he got there, she was still, because they knew that they had they had to tell him it's, you know, someone shoot, there's a shooter in there. And so she was so shaken by it that when they got her to safety, she didn't want him to leave. She said, will you stay with me? I'm alone. And so he stayed with her. He stayed with her. He stayed with her and he got her to where she was going. I don't know if she was going home. That wasn't clear. But anyway, wherever she was going, she was going to be alone there and she he got her there took her to wherever her destination was and she was still so shaken that she said would you not leave me alone tonight and so this man stayed with this woman all night long so that she would feel safe again and it was a part of me that's like why would you do that what did you get out of that right you're you're on a you're on a trip Right, this guy's on a trip to somewhere. We, you may get on a, you may get on a subway and ride in different directions just to see the tunnels or something, but you don't get on planes just to get to where it goes and to get on another one and just a plane hop. You, you're going somewhere for a reason. He was going somewhere, and this event messed with his plans. But even more than that, this woman and this whole thing messed up his plans. Once he got there, it, it, this whole thing was you know, blown. But he got no benefit from doing that, none whatsoever. And so he's standing here as this contestant, and they ask him, why would you do that? And he just, I mean, immediately he said, he said, if needed, I hope and pray that someone would do the same for my grandmother. Wow, at that moment, I'm just like, million dollars, baby, drop those balls, million dollars for this guy, right? You want to see this guy win because he's done he's done this thing he's he's heroic in some way right he's he's cares for his fellow man he's taking care of this woman he's like you just want him to to win some money now he needs something this is in our notes it says this true greatness is achieved in the humble serving of others that's where true greatness is it's not in the the winning of something or the even the The doing of something notable, it is that humble serving of others where true greatness resides. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a man with more great quotes than I will ever have, says this. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve, he says. He says you don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve, praise the Lord. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. He says you don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second law of thermodynamics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. And you can be that servant. Today we're going to look at a story. We're going to continue our series of the unsung heroes. For those of you who may be joining us, and this is your first Sunday, and that we're going through and ta- looking at um, not the not the people of the Bible that we n- notably know are heroes, the Moses, the Davids, the Joshua's, the Joseph's. We're looking at the unsung heroes, the people who are little. They were there. We know their lives. But sometimes we don't see them through the lens of what they truly did and what they truly accomplished. And so this morning, we're going to look at the life of Rebecca. How many of you know Rebecca? Yes. But we're going to talk about her. So while you're turning to the text this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 24. You can do that with your Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones, whatever you're, you're reading your Bible on today. While you're doing that, finding Genesis 24, let me give you a little backstory. So we know that Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, yes? We know this. We know from Genesis 23 that he is 137 when his wife Sarah dies. So at the ripe young age of 137, he is now a widower. And while he is not looking for his second wife at this point in life, um, he has gotten to the place where he's contemplated the idea that his son doesn't have a wife. And in this culture, he had a role to play in that. And so what he... Did is what we're going to cover in our, our, our discussion this morning. So at 139-ish, because we know it when Abraham was 140 that Isaac actually married, so somewhere around 139, uh, Abraham being too old to travel, right? Uh, at 137, he would have to be carried down the stairs of the airplane. He decides uh, to call his chief servant in and he asks him to come in, and he he gives him a task, and what he does, he says, "Come here and stick your hand underneath my thigh and so he's laying on a bed, and he wants his servant to come stick his hand underneath his thigh Now this isn't a covenant, but what this is is this is a really big promise he's about to make one of those promises that uh you make to someone that it's going to matter this is a real this is a real promise that's going to matter it's a, It's not going to be easy necessarily but you're promising, you're swearing that you're going to do something. And what he, Abraham asks this servant, this servant has no name that we find in scripture. He asks him, he says, I need you to go and find a wife for Isaac. I'm not able to. And I'm asking you to promise me that you will not go and find one the easy way by picking her out of these women here in the land of Canaan. I know they're beautiful. I know they're smart, I know they sing well, I know they've got they cook good, I know all those kinds of things, but I'm asking you to not do this the easy way. I'm asking you, these are not my people. And I'm asking you to go to my homeland and find my son, one from among our people. Will you do that for me? And the servant says he will. He says, but if, what if no one will come back with me? He says, if no one comes back, you're released from this promise. And you can find her, a wife, wherever you find her. But you, you wonder, like, why is this such a big deal? Why is he making him promise it in such a way and everything? Well, the reason is, again, because of his age. He's 139, and he's not confident today that he will be alive to see this future daughter-in-law of his it could very well be that this servant goes on this journey and before he comes back, Abraham would be no more. And so he needs to know that this task is going to be done. And so the servant uh, makes this promise and um, heads off to find uh, a wife. And so it says that he basically loads up ten camels and he heads back to Abraham's homeland to find a wife and so when he arrives there when he makes his first stop so his camel train pulls into the station and when it does is where we are in chapter 24 beginning in verse 12 and it says this It says, then he prayed Lord God of my master Abraham make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you've shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. And as she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. It's one thing to say you'll do it, it's another thing. He wanted to watch and see if she really did it. But for Rebecca, this is just... I mean, she's she just coming out of the house, coming out of the city to go on to get a well. This is an ordinary day. While it may have been an ordinary day and an ordinary experience, it became a defining point for Rebecca because she chose to graciously serve a total stranger. It was her humble service that opened her life to greater opportunities. You and I know that First Peter 5, 5 says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I believe that we're going to see that very thing, that it's in not just her willingness to do something, but it's in the humility of her service that we see God working. So this morning, I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about Rebecca's humble response. The first thing we want to look at is this idea that Rebecca saw a need and she took the initiative to act. It says in verse 18, drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands. She gave him a drink. You and I can have ideas, but that doesn't mean they're worth anything. You and I can have um, good intentions, but they really don't have power in and of themselves. You and I can have strategies and plans, but unless we do something, unless we follow them with action, they really uh, don't mean anything. You know, I'm a great strategist. I really am. Um, It's one of my strengths, and I can come up with plans of how to get from A to B. I can come up. When people come to me and say this is what I want to do, it's like my brain just like aligns all their thoughts. It's one of the things I was doing this past week in Florida was I was helping a pastor trying to figure out how to get from A to B, and he he was he had all of these things, but he didn't know what to do with them. And like we met, and it's like it all just aligned. We came up with a strategy and a plan, and he knew what to do. But it's one of the things that I have the giftings to do. But not everybody has that that ability, right? It's not just in the plans. How many of you know, I can come up with a great plan, but if the people who are supposed to follow it, whether it be me or someone else, if they do nothing, guess what happens? Nothing, right? doesn't matter how great the plan is. doesn't matter how awesome the idea is. It doesn't matter how empowering the actions could be. If no one puts them to action, there's nothing happens. As I was studying for this sermon, I realized unintentionally we did something in this sermon series. I wish I would love to say we were that brilliant and came up with this idea, but we didn't. But I noticed that this concept of faith and action together, like runs through this entire sermon series. This is like our fourth sermon in this series, and I just realized that I mean it wasn't part of our plan, like to weave that thread, but it is in in this whole series. You and I have to put action to our faith we have to do something with what we believe and what we know otherwise nothing happens and that's exactly what rebecca did is she she took action but she didn't just take action she did the second point which is this she went the extra mile rebecca went the extra mile it says that Uh, In verse 19, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. Now, I'm just going to tell you to say to a man who has 10 camels, I'll water them until they've had enough to drink is like you saying to me, I will feed your son until he's had enough to eat. You better have a buffet and a kitchen to back it up because the boy can eat right. You have to do that. That's what she did. I mean, that's what that's what happened here. She said, I'll I'll. I'll, yeah, I'll give them some water. This wasn't like one of the little things where you, you know, this wasn't like a halftime or, a, a, you know, a, a, um, a time out on a field where they come out with little water bottles, and they squirt a little water bottle in the camel's mouth and take off again. No, this is like a camel's going to drink, right? So she said, I'm going to water them till they've had enough. So I, being who I am, those of you who don't know, um, I'm an accountant by Before I was a pastor, I was an accountant, and every once in a while, I have an accountant type of moment. And I'm having one of those with this story as I'm studying it. I didn't go get my pocket protector, and I didn't need a calculator, but I did need to figure out a little camel watering calculation at this point. I needed to figure this out. What does this look like? And so it says that you got 10 camels. Right, and so I went and I went and Googled it, and according to Google, it says that the average camel, when thirsty, drinks 20 to 30 gallons. Right, 20 to 30 gallons. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm gonna make it easy on this little Rebecca. I'm gonna assume that that the camels were not very thirsty. Right, they just wanted the 20, not the 30 gallons. They just wanted 20 gallons. Right, maybe they didn't come as far. Maybe they drank a little bit yesterday, but nonetheless, that they're gonna drink. 20 gallons, 10 camels, 20 gallons, 200 gallons total, right? Don't need a calculator for that. Um, Didn't even need to have to pull off my shoes or anything to make all the numbers. 200 gallons, and then I got to thinking, so what does that mean? I mean, that's a lot of water. What does that mean? So you start thinking about, okay, obviously she didn't didn't do it with a siphon. It said that she had a, a jar that she put on her head, and she's carrying it. Well, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to assume that uh, Rebecca is fit, right? People are – it's a little more physical environment that day. They weren't as soft as we are today here in America. I'm thinking she's a little more fit. Maybe she doesn't do CrossFit, but she's a little fit, right? She's got a couple guns. She's lifting lifting this water. It's not uncommon. I'm going to go with a five-gallon bucket. I've got a 21-year-old daughter. She could do a five-gallon bucket a few times. So I'm thinking five gallons. And I thought, well, could she do it consistently? Maybe three gallons. But I went ahead and said, okay, let's just go with five. That will reduce the number of trips, right? Five gallons, two out of two. Five-gallon bucket, 200 gallons, 40 trips. 40 trips to the well and back, Okay. So 40 trips to the well if the camels aren't really thirsty and if she has a really big bucket and she's got the guns to move them, then we can go with 40 trips. If not, it's more. So 40 trips, and I'm going to assume that the well was close and that she was really fit. And so she starts doing this at a 3 minute pace. She can lift water up out of a well, get over to the camels, water them and go back all in 3 minutes. And I'm just and if she just keeps it going takes no rest and doesn't stop herself every 3 minutes like CrossFit, right? She's doing this. She can water these camels 40 trips, 3 minutes, 120 minutes, 2 hours of watering at a bare minimum. You you reduce the size of the Bear, uh, the pot because she's, maybe she's a, a little thing, or you increase the amount of time that it took her to four minutes, or you increase the thirst of the camels and two hours can be four hours really quickly. But let's just say two hours, right? Can you imagine her family? Where's Rebecca? I don't know. We sent her for water hours ago. right? They don't know where she's at. But soon, she arrives. She comes back Back home, and she's got this guy following her with these camels now that she's been watering, and she has to explain uh, this story. I would say, in my mind, that's the extra mile. She went the extra mile. She could have gotten by and said, sure, you can have a drink of water. But she said, I'll water your camels, and I'll water them till they're done. But not only did she go the extra mile... It was her focus, right? She's focused on not just this guy, or what she's got to get back to, or that her mom might be waiting on her. You know, uh, obviously she came for water for something. So either somebody's cooking, somebody's hungry, somebody, you know, something's happening. But yet she's not worried about that. She's focused on this this servant and his camels. So you know that she loves people, right? And she loves animals, big animals. I'm thinking to myself, this is the perfect woman, right? You have found the perfect woman. She's from the homeland, right? He knows that. She, it says she's beautiful. She's a virgin. She's a hard worker, right? She loves animals. She's kind to strangers. I mean, this is the perfect package. But even in that, this servant doesn't even look at her abilities in that way. He's relying on the Lord. He says, "Lord, you you grant me success today, right?" So, we see that she's concerned with others. She quickly waters all of this, but but what does she get out of it? I mean, what's the benefit of her to be have her day interrupted like this? This man is just a passing traveler. He and his camels, as far as she knows, she doesn't know that he's somehow related or that her his master's somehow related. He's just a traveler. She doesn't know that there's some kind of benefit coming. There was no deal between them, no bargain, no anything like that. Well, if you'll water my camels, I've got these really nice uh earrings I'll, you know, give you, or I've got this great set of. Dresses that you can have your pick from, or there was nothing like that. He didn't even promise her a camel after she had done. There was no promise, no benefit known. But she chose. She chose to serve. She chose to serve and go the extra mile out of concern for him and his camels. That is personal sacrifice. That is someone saying, It's not about me, it's about others, and I'm gonna do whatever it takes of me. I'm gonna be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of someone else that I don't even know just because they're sitting right here on the seat beside me. That's personal sacrifice. I have really put my brain to it and I kept thinking was, was there any opportunity where to go the extra mile for someone else in a way that really matters that it wouldn't cost me? I don't know how you go the extra mile without it costing you. I don't know how we would serve in a way that would be like this that it wouldn't require some amount of personal sacrifice on our part. And she just willingly gives it. That brings us to our, our last point, and that is this. Finally, um, because of her humble act, Rebecca steps into a bigger story that, <clears throat> because she was willing to serve. It's, it's not in our text this morning, but I'll tell you what uh, verse 60 and 61 of this same chapter say. And it says this, And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. That's prophetic, and they didn't know it. Then Rebecca and her attendants got ready, mounted the camels, and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Rebecca was stepping into a bigger story that she didn't know. She didn't know that she was stepping into a huge starring type role in God's story. She didn't know that this was going to be the story of God's people. She did not know that she was about to become a matriarch of a nation. She did not know that she was just willing to serve. She did not know that she was marrying into what would become the famous trio of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She did not know that Abraham sang bass and Isaac sang tenor and that Jacob would sing alto until his voice changed. She did not know that she was marrying into a family and a nation that for thousands of years to come, when her people would refer to the God, they would do it by also saying the names of her father-in-law, her husband, and her soon-to-be son. They did not know that she did not know that she was going to be marrying into the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She just chose to serve. Just a simple act of service. She had no idea what the story of God would be in her life and for generations to come. She did not know that she would one day have a great, great, super great, many greats grandson who would one day kill a giant and become a king. And all the land that she would ever live on, that he would finally secure it for their people. And that peace would come after his reign she had no idea that his son would be forever known as the wisest man who ever lived on the face of the planet. And she had no idea that one day her great grandson, to the probably about the 40th power, would one day be the incarnation of God. And that he would save not only her family and her people, but he would save mankind from what we have faced since the garden. But she was willing to serve. Sometimes we don't know what the outcomes will be. We don't know the lives that we will impact, the generations that we will impact. But we're just willing to serve. And we hope that someone would do something similar for our family one day. This morning, I'm convinced that Rebecca's humble service makes her one of our unsung heroes in all of this. You don't have to have superpowers. That's what I love about these Unsung Heroes series. You don't have to have superpowers or a cape to be a, a hero, right? You don't even have to be famous necessarily to be a hero, right? There's an unsung hero capability and opportunity within all of us. If we see and understand the things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, specifically today, talking about being a servant, you and I can be, and probably have been, and may not yet know the ramifications of what our lives have done as we've served others, as we continue to serve, as we seek to serve others. And so this morning, as I'm coming to a conclusion, I want to leave you with two thoughts. In addition to the points that we've talked about, I had a couple of summary thoughts when I was preparing this morning. and that's this: Just like Rebecca, you and I, we can be um, we can become part of God's family similarly, right? The word says that today we become a part of God's family when we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ right, is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead. Right? When we do those two things, we confess and we believe. Now, A lot of times we do that with a prayer, but the reality is it's about what we, what we say and what we believe. That's the truth of it. And so it's really easy. If we're not a part of God's family, we can be. You can be a part of a church family and not a part of God's family, but we can do that, right? It's fully available just as it was to Rebecca that she would become a part of God's story. That's the second thing is that you and I can become a part of God's story. And it's really simple. Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to serve the people around you? Are you willing to go the extra mile? Are you willing to do something that you see and you've been avoiding. Listen, I can I can avoid doing things as well as anybody else. I'm really good at it. Um, we have to look beyond ourselves and see the needs around us, and they may be simple things. Someone in a grocery store, someone at a gas station, someone, one of our neighbors needs a little something. We just have to go the extra mile and do something that we've been not fully been asked or fully, and we don't know how that will impact their lives we don't know how helping a little lady down out of a plane we still don't know how that impacted her lives but we do know what it means for Rebecca what it meant to to pour out some water for its passing traveler and for the group that was with him it changed the course of history that you and I are now enjoying we can all be servants and we can all find ourselves right in the middle of God's story while we're doing it. I'm going to ask all of you to stand this morning. Pastor Josh is going to come in just a second. He's going to officially close out our service, but I want to just pray over you before we go this morning. Um, Father, I just thank you for the privilege to be in your house. God, I thank you for this or this, my church family. God, I thank you that, um, God, that we all have the ability to be in your story. God, we all have the ability to be in relationship with you. God, I pray that today as we go, God, I pray that you would use us, God, in ways, uh, Lord, that we may not fully understand in our lifetime, but God, down the road, we'll see the impact of our willingness to humbly serve others in whatever way. God, that we let us not be the ones who will just take the easy route. We're trying to do the minimum effort for the maximum benefit, but God, really give us the ability to see needs around us and see the people and to love them as you would love them. God, I pray your blessings and your favor over this, my church family today, in Christ's name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.